Welcome to the Austin Art Talk Podcast. I'm Scott David Gordon, your host. Thanks for taking the time to listen. In lieu of my standard intro, I wanted to highlight what this specific interview with watercolor artist and teacher Jan Heaton means to me. Jan is a really talented painter and teacher, and just a wonderful person and generous friend. I'm so glad we got to sit down and talk, and I know we were both pretty nervous going into it. Six months ago, Jan lost her daughter Kristen to cancer after a 10-year battle the last two years of which Jan spent in Laguna Beach, close to Kristen and her wonderful, supportive friends and family. She's now back in Austin, and on September 14th, 2019, at Davis Gallery, will be the Big Pink Blanket of Love group exhibition to honor her daughter's life. Let me read some text from the Davis Gallery website. Over 60 artists have contributed 4x4-inch squares of their own original artwork in an overall pink palette that have been hand-stitched together to create a pink quilt, symbolizing the community's compassion, strength, and friendship. The idea for the pink quilt is derived directly from Kristen's feeling that the love she had been shown over the course of her treatments felt like a big, warm, pink blanket of love. In addition to this collaborative quilt, an extended group show focused on love, gratitude, and family will feature original artwork by Jan and over 20 other artists. 10% of the proceeds raised during the four-week-long exhibition will be donated to the Peabody Fund, a project set up in direct response to Kristen Peabody's ambition to help develop innovative work in cancer research through the San Diego Center for Personalized Immunotherapy. The Big Pink Blanket of Love collaborative quilt will be donated to the Dell Children's Medical Center's fundraiser, The Art of Giving, an annual fundraiser dedicated to providing art and music therapy for thousands of young cancer patients. So do me a favor, commit in your mind to listening to this whole interview. I would really appreciate that. The bulk of it is about Jan and her career, and we get to Kristen's story at the end, about an hour in. So please listen, consider attending the opening if you can, or at least visit the exhibition before it ends on October 12th, and also think about donating to the Peabody Fund to further that cause. There is a link provided in the show notes along with many other links to people and places mentioned in the interview. And don't hesitate to share any feedback you have with either of us. We welcome it. Here is Jan. Okay, Jan. Well, thanks for being on my podcast. Thank you for (laughs) inviting me to talk to you. Well, thanks for asking um, (laughs) to be on. Obviously, I have a very important reason to be talking right at this moment um, in anticipation of the Big Pink Blanket of Love exhibition at Davis Gallery that opens on September 14th. Um, and there's a obviously a, a huge story behind why that's happening. But I wanted to first mention how we know each other. I think we met at Wally Workman. We did. In 2012. And then... At the time, I was doing a panorama project, and I approached you to be in it. Essentially, the po- the project was, um, for a year, I committed every day to shooting a series of photos that I would then stitch together into a panorama, and I would post that online. And it was just like a yeah. commitment I made. I only made it through nine months, but that was like really hard <laughs> to do that every day, because some of the photos would take like an hour to put together. But one beautiful thing that came out of that project, because originally I was just doing landscapes or whatever, but then I started approaching artists because I've always been interested in art. I've always been going to openings, especially at Wally Workman for years. And I met you there 
it was so cool because it was like a reason for me to be able to approach an artist that I didn't know and actually have something legitimate to ask them to do or to be involved with them in some way, which is essentially what the podcast is now too. Exactly. So that was like version 1.0 of the podcast. So I asked you to do the panorama and I came to this house and we did the photo and it was just like such a delightful experience to like spend hours talking with you and you fed me homemade minestrone soup and you know, it was just so nice. And I was just like, this is the kind of life I want. This, these are the kinds of things I want to be doing in my life. So I feel so grateful now to be back here with you and to still be spending time with artists and getting to sit down and have conversations with them. What thoughts, do you have any thoughts from that time period at all? Or? Oh, I was honored. Uh, normally, if you're an artist, it's uh, you don't always have the resources to have a professional photographer photograph you in your own environment. Yeah, yeah. And so this was, to me, exciting to be able to do this and to use it to promote my work. I was... Uh, you know, fresh out of advertising and uh, a new career. Yeah. So you you approached me at an excellent time. And then we did another, you commissioned me to do in 2014, yeah. uh, a photo at the Boggy Creek Farm Stand, because at the time you were doing a whole series of watercolor paintings of things that you would find at the farmer's market. Right. Yeah. Every Saturday I go to the farmer's market and I would usually come back with two or three pieces that I thought were interesting and I would photograph them. I'd chop them, dice them, slice them and uh, do details of them. Basically I wouldn't do photorealism. Mm, um, yeah. The impressions were more abstract. They were looking at them from a different perspective. Uh, and the vegetables and fruits in the farmer's market are so radically different from what I grew up with in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, my mother was a gardener, and we always had a garden with fruits and vegetables. But, you know, there were not watermelon radishes or golden beets or mm-hmm. fennel. Uh, yeah. So there was a lot of new things to paint. Artichokes. We did not have many artichokes yeah. growing up in Detroit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just seems like what a rich life to be an artist who is inspired by everything they might see in the world to create a painting. I mean, it could be anything. You could just probably spend days in your backyard inspired to make paintings about your backyard, or it could be anything. The ideas are always abundant. And I know once uh, I was teaching a workshop at Laguna Gloria, and one of the students told me that they they felt fairly comfortable with the techniques they were learning, but the biggest problem they had was where do I get the ideas? Ah. And uh, in to myself, I'm thinking mm, maybe you ought to take up something different. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, because I for me there's so many ideas that it's more a job of editing yeah. the inspiration than looking for ideas. Yeah, you're probably like, I don't have enough time in my life to work through all these ideas. So I felt a little bit sad for the student because uh, that is the easy part for me. Yeah. The deciding how to represent what I see, you know, how I want to present a flavor of it or a gesture of it is, you know, that's when you get into a lot of decisions. Yeah, yeah. But, But finding the one object to paint, that's pretty easy Mm -hmm. well maybe since you mentioned detroit i'm wondering if we should just 
maybe start there. Because I just, I just, as I mentioned to you a minute ago, I just read um, something from the May issue of Austin Woman Magazine. It was Uh called The Last Word. And it was just like this delightful little snapshot of your life growing up with your mom and your dad and this artistic (laughs) dreamlike existence with them and your and your grandfather being an artist too like can you share some of that I mean it's it's interesting I was uh, you know I love Mary Oliver's quotes I discovered them during Kristen's illness and and Mary Oliver was very much an observer of nature and all of all of its little nuances and I immediately related to her. So I started quoting her social media, etc. Then I actually out of that started writing poetry also, which I I used to do as as a teenager, I used to write poetry a lot. But there's a Mary Oliver quote that um, I was looking at for today. And uh, Mary says, I decided very early that I wanted to write, but I didn't think of it as a career. I didn't even think of it as a profession. It was the most exciting thing, the most powerful thing, the most wonderful thing to do with my life. Wow. And I think that's the way I felt about painting and drawing, because I, I grew up in a family where everyone was an artist. Yeah. And my grandfather was an automotive design engineer with Henry Ford. Mm-hmm. My mother was an illustrator with General Motors. And my father was a sign painter and display artist. Yeah. So on a snowy day in Detroit, mom would set up the floodlights on the dining room table. She'd set up a still life. She'd give us charcoal and paper. Uh, My baby photos are frankly embarrassing because they're they're all shot against a backdrop in the living room. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, she would then hand tint them. That was when hand tinting was was so popular. And of course, I'm always buck naked in these (laughs) lovely photos. But. Uh, you know, I discovered that not all of my friends, their baby photos look different than yeah, mine. <laughs> of course. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mine were very romanticized. Yeah. But uh, mom was the person that made all the wedding cakes for anyone on the street that was getting married. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was always drawing, always sketching. She would sit in front of the TV with a sketchbook and do gesture drawings of the people on TV. Wow. You know, we would we would go out for a drive outside of Detroit, and she'd be going, Ken, stop the car. You know, I want, I want to draw this, or, you know. Yeah, but sketch, and he understood. Yes, <laughs> sketchbooks. Yes, he did understand. So, you know, they say sometimes that opposites attract, but sometimes I think... You need to you need to be with someone who's also creative to understand what your process yeah. is, and he surely did. Oh, nice. He surely did. But she loved to cook, and you know we have cooks in our family and chefs, and yeah. you know it's it's definitely. I, I always say the beat goes on, and it does. All of those things they introduced us to the music, the art. Um, so there was probably never a doubt in your mind that you would be an artist yeah. or do something creative. Why, why would you want to do anything else is all I could think. Yeah. yeah. And and they were athletic. And my dad would teach us tennis out in the street in Detroit. We lived in the city. Yeah. And uh, swimming. But, you know, he would always say that, you know, that's one of the most important things is to be physically active. Yeah. You know, if you're going to be a good artist, you need to... 
Be strong. Oh, really? You need to be strong. Yeah. Because sometimes it's hard work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. What are some of the other kind of sayings or, uh, you um, know, philosophies that they imparted on you? <laughs> well, my dad, for one, at the age of 80, um, people would always ask him, what is your key to being so vital? And yeah. he's he was a, a little bit of a jokester. He liked to fool around. He was still um, flirting with anyone who would listen at yeah. his age. And they would say, Ken... What is your key to long life? And he would say, I don't hang out with old people. <laughs> All right. So. Yeah. But they, they, they had a good life together, and uh, there was always something creative going on. Sewing. My brother and I would sew clothes for our teddy bears and dolls yeah. growing up. Mm-hmm. He probably wouldn't want me sharing that right now, because okay. he's an engineer and also a woodworker. <laughs> Yeah, it just, I learned calligraphy from my dad, which was really my segue into working in advertising. So, dad was a sign painter, and we had a basement. And because he was a bit of a party boy, he was also a procrastinator. So, he would have these projects that would be due the next day, and he'd be downstairs, you know sign painting and I would, I would go I would go sit with him and you know he would teach me so oh, I can nice. I can do sign painting and calligraphy and it actually landed one of my first jobs in marketing I, and, I, and I still like to write I still like to write yeah I almost thought you were going to say about the calligraphy that that led to watercolor painting you know that, uh, that seems like a connection I, I do think that my paintings are um you know listening to Sydney's um talk with you yeah. on the recent episode how hers are gestural and I, I feel the same way about my watercolors because I'm really very interested in line and movement and most often just the feeling that you know you have four edges on a painting but to me it doesn't end there I always mm. want to feel like there's something beyond that that there's yeah. a continuation yeah. And a lot of that comes just from the fluid line and the movement of line and shapes. Yeah, very much like calligraphy, I would, mm-hmm. I would assume. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my friends kind of uh, smile when they talk about my handwritten notes. Oh, they're yeah, all, they're, they're, nice. all, they're all afraid to send me notes. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've gotten they a few type of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I love writing notes. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I was brought up being, you know, advised that whenever anyone does anything nice for you um acknowledge it yeah and i think in this day and age that's kind of going away you actually still have the cards that you've sent me yeah that's that's nice yeah um so you had this kind of idyllic creative childhood and then Mm -hmm. how does that lead into advertising because that doesn't seem like a direct route to being an artist well no i was uh, a stay-at-home mom Mm-hmm. When the girls are small, I did was still always painting, but okay. I wasn't being represented by galleries. I was just painting for pleasure. When I was in my mid-30s, uh, I took a, a graphic design course at Laguna Gloria, oh, okay. just because I wanted to learn something new. Yeah, And my background was fine arts, and uh, I met 
um, some teachers and uh, decided that, oh, this this could be interesting. And my kids were going to school then. So I went to work at a printing company as a graphic mm-hmm. designer, discovered how little I knew. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, from there, worked at a small ad agency as a designer. And then... From there, I worked at Austin and San Antonio Homes and Gardens Magazine as the art director of oh, wow. two city magazines. And that was one of my most fun jobs, I think. Yeah. I loved that job. And I still have I still have about 10 friends that I see on a regular basis that worked with me. Oh, nice. When I was 40 then. So, so your jobs, time has passed. Your jobs all involve some artistic yeah. kind of endeavor yeah. of some sort or practice, but you weren't literally just creating art yeah. all the time. No, I was styling food shots for photography yeah. and going into someone's house and, you know, rearranging the furniture with the photographer oh, yeah. okay. for a better shot or did we really get this assignment because this person has, you know, 500 ceramic frogs? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's always a surprise. Yeah, and yeah. it it was a job that was always different. Every mm-hmm. month it was different. And there were deadlines. I love deadlines. I, ah. I think I, I do better when I have deadlines. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I don't like to have wide open schedules yeah then you have to be more disciplined right? <laughs> yeah I, i'm pretty disciplined and organized but um there's something about being able to get a project and go through the process and then have it completed mm-hmm. completed yeah one job i had was at holt reinhardt and winston publishing and marketing and uh, we would work on textbooks for the schools and they'd be going through texas california adoptions uh, a history book may take two to three years mm-hmm. before it's published. Yeah. Oh, that was just a ridiculous amount of time to me. It yeah. was. It was a little boring, to be honest. I can imagine that. <laughs> Jeez. Um, so how? I do want to at some point touch maybe on how your experiences in adver- advertising led to maybe ways that you approach your art career. But I kind of want to hear also oh. like maybe about how you finally transitioned from you know, working all these other jobs to kind of maybe... Was, is that what it looked like? Or you just kind of one well, day decided, I'm going to be a painter now? Or? No, I was I was actually working at Sicola Martin. Um, when I was there, I was working as a production director. And uh, I was really missing painting. Yeah. And so I took a workshop and I started painting at night. And, you know, when you're in advertising, you do not have a lot of free time. It's yeah. not a 40-hour-a-week job. And I had, you know, two daughters, and uh, so I was doing all these paintings, and my daughters thought, you know, this was wonderful. So I I was at Sokola Martin, and on Mother's Day, uh, Kristen and Allison asked me to go out for brunch, and I got there, and Kristen had brought her laptop, and she said, okay, Mom, you know, type in Jan Heaton. (laughs) Dot com. <laughs> I know. I didn't even have a laptop at that time. The only computer I had was at work. So I type in Jan Heaton and whoa, pops up Jan Heaton artiste is what it said. <laughs> and it had one of my images and they had registered my domain name, janheaton.com. They had, you know, set up an image. There, there were no other pages on this yeah, website. Yeah. It was just a shell of yeah. something to be. But basically, the message was, we believe in this for you, and we want you to be serious and continue on it. 
So, so they've, two daughters have really been my biggest fan club members. Encouraging you. Yeah. 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 Not too many mothers are given a website for Mother's Day. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So how did you, how did you take that? Did you, did you feel like, wow, okay. I I started doing work. Uh, I started doing painting and then there was a big layoff at Sakola Martin and about 30 people were laid off including the CFO. You know, it's really bad when the CFO gets laid off. Yeah, yeah. And so it was basically a numbers maneuver. I I didn't take it personally, but I was at a point where I had to decide, do I want to? And I I immediately received another offer to work for full-time in another agency, which was really very flattering. But I thought, I don't think right now I want to go into another full-time position in advertising. Maybe I can work part-time as a consultant. And maybe in the rest of the time, I can pursue my artwork. Mm. So um, I decided that was the path I wanted to take. It was a little bit risky. Yeah. Um, but uh, I already had some clients that said they'd like to work with me. I went to Jace Graff. I don't know if you know Jace. He's probably someone you should yeah. interview too. He's amazing. And decided that, you know, advertising is all about presentation. And, you know, we always would feel that, you know, you get a very short amount of time to make an right. impression. And right. so it, it ought to be perfect. It ought to be unique. It ought to really brand you what what mm-hmm. you're doing. So during this process of getting ready to show my work to someone other than my daughters, yeah, um, I started painting in squares. I only painted squares because I decided that was going to be part of my, this is my Your work style. and you know what yeah. I'm doing. And so I did business cards, letterheads, website, uh, friend Lori Walls helped me with my website design. So everything was based on the square and then Jay Graff, I went and saw him, and he made me a beautiful presentation box for my work mm. that was square. And I started canvassing the art galleries in Austin. Mm. Decided, you know, kind of decided who was first, second, third, and always believed in starting out with first. Yeah. And it was Wally. And I went in, I, you know, sent her an image, and I said, would you be interested in just giving me an informational interview, which is highly recommended if you're an artist, because most artists aren't looking for new artists to add to their roster. But an informational interview is something where you go in and you show them their work, your work, and they go, um, maybe you should build this up and have more pieces, or maybe you should consider looking at such and such gallery because they carry more abstract work. Just to get feedback. Yeah. yeah. And Wally would always offer to do that for anyone that was mm. interested. So um, I also decided I would walk into galleries and, and try to look as uh, least client-friendly as possible. Let's just say I wouldn't get all dressed up for the walk through the potential gallery. Yeah, yeah, Kind yeah. of like to walk through as if I, there was no way I could ever afford to buy an original piece of art. <laughs> <laughs> and I would use that as a barometer as to how I was received. Oh, yeah. a little secret shopper So, <laughs> yes, it's like, you know, sometimes when you're in New York and you walk into a gallery and, you know, the hip 
the hip young person behind the front desk doesn't even raise their head. Yeah. They they don't even acknowledge your being. Yeah. And you can be in there for half an hour, leave, and they've never said two words to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes that's a mistake for them. Oh, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> and uh, when I went to Wally's, they were very cordial. You know, I didn't tell them what I was doing. I then left and then followed it up with... A letter. So I always felt that the gallery time was very valuable, and the worst thing you can do is just do a no-notice hospitality check on a gallery. Yeah, yeah. You know, appointments are still a good idea. Professional practices. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And don't bring your work in a paper bag. So, <laughs> so I arrive with my beautiful JSCRAF handmade portfolio box, and I have like twenty pieces reproductions of my work in the box. And while I'm, I'm very nervous, while I'm showing this to Wally, uh, Will Clem walks mm. in. Yeah, and he's her top-selling artist in the gallery. So that was a little bit um, uncomfortable, but he was lovely. And then 10 minutes later, Judy Taylor, owner of Shell Creek yeah. Gallery, walks in. And I'm going, wow. Oh, wow. Wow, this is, <laughs> this, is, this is not what I was hoping for. And they're for. all jumping in and looking at your work, well, too? Or? Well, you know, at first I thought they were more impressed with Jace's portfolio than oh, my yeah. work. Well, nice it's box. like, wow, this is so nice. Where did you get this made? <laughs> it's almost too nice. It detracted, maybe. I don't know. And then Wally asked me, she said, you don't by any chance have any original pieces with you that I could see? And I said, oh. Well, yeah, I just happened to have some in my car. So I went out and got some original pieces. And she looked at him and she said, so what is your schedule like? I said, oh, well, I have lots of time. (laughs) (laughs) More time than I want to share with you. Yeah. And she said, I'd like to do a little pop-up introduction exhibit for you. Wow. Yeah. Right on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that was pretty unexpected and lovely. And about two months later, she had sent out postcards. Yeah. She had an opening for me, showed about 20 pieces of my work. Wow. That must have been wonderful. Yeah. 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 So, she's a pro for sure. I, she, I look forward she to is interviewing a pro. her too. Yes. Wally and Rachel. Rachel Huller, gallery yeah. director. They're amazing. And then for a while, I went out on my own. Oh, okay. And uh, in the meantime, I was developing other gallery relationships. So I have a gallery in San Antonio, Hunt Gallery, Marta Stafford and Marble Falls represents my work. Mm-hmm. I had a gallery in Boston for a while, which ironically ended up being across the street from my cousin's gallery in Boston. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know, That's cool. I know. This is the family thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have lots of artists. And, and that was good. But with my advertising background, I thought in Austin, because I had such a big network of friends and family here, I thought, oh, you know, why am I giving a percentage to a gallery in Austin, I could be doing this myself. Mm-hmm. Well, I learned a lesson from that. And I've gone back to being a gallery artist because um, there is a tremendous amount of work and time that goes into showing your work, finding the audience, um, following up. Yeah. And, you know, a great percentage of the work you show is never really sold. Mm-hmm. So I decided that the gallery format was the best for me. Mm-hmm. So now I'm represented by Davis Gallery here in Austin. Yeah. They're amazing also. Yeah, it's been a great relationship for me with them. 
but it, it does take it, it frees me up to spend more time painting and less time pulling art and having people come to my studio and look through art and then yeah. you know follow up and then I don't have to talk about money I let the gallery talk about money mm-hmm. which is always hard for me yeah, that's hard for most artists. I most think, most yeah. artists, yes. I mean, in a perfect world, I'll be honest, in a perfect world, if I were to win the lottery, I would just give all my artwork away to all my friends. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that was in 2003, so when you yeah. first started with Wally, Right. And did you actually end up picking up a part-time job, or did you end up I just... Did. Oh, I did. I did. I was okay. consulting. I um, did some consultation for um, a company owned by Jim Warren, and uh, of course, I'm trying to build my painting career, so every time I would send him an invoice, I would send one of my big cards with a painting on it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and he, by chance, loved my work, so he actually ended up commissioning me to do seven paintings for their office. Yeah. Oh, so nice. I was, oh. you know, I had two things going <laughs> with him. Yeah. And wasn't there also a connection with Kristen being an art collector and her hiatus spa? And yeah, then... well, that came in 2008 okay. that she opened hiatus spa. So now um, Kristen opened the first spa in Dallas on Lover's Lane. Now they're opening the sixth and the seventh spa in Texas, one in Fort Worth, one a second one in Dallas. Mm. And uh, each one has approximately 25 pieces of my artwork in them which is uh yeah really nice because and they're not all originals most of them are reproductions and usually there's a large original in the main lobby mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but i always refer to it as my being able to have seven one woman shows that yeah. are permanently up all the time yeah nice and and work has come from that too mm-hmm. so yeah i think yeah. you've been pretty smart about to how you've gotten your work out there into yeah. the market and different yeah. different yeah. venues. Kristen had an artist contact her after one of the spas had opened and she had seen all this artwork and it's a little unusual to go into a spa and have contemporary artwork in a spa. Yeah. The artist said, well, um, I just wanted to know if you have plans to open more spas because I'd like to show you my portfolio, you know, for possible future work. And yeah. Kristen kind of laughed and she said, well, she said, I have to be honest, honest with you. Jan Heaton is my mother. Yeah. Yeah. She's got the pretty, exclusive. I'm pretty loyal. Deal. I'm pretty loyal to her. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Unless she crosses me, you know, but yeah. she's, she's got a pretty good solid contract here. Yeah. So. And it's, and your work, I think would fit beautifully in that kind of a setting. It's yeah. often it's, very it's serene and yeah. It's tranquil. tranquil. And, I'm always trying to be tranquil. I'm not really... I mean, I, I, I've experienced a lot of sadness and crisis and trauma in the last 10 years. Yeah. And uh, I, I think there is a part of me that could have gone that direction. Mm. And and you would have been able to see it in my work. And I have done some small pieces where they do look angry. Yeah. But as far as the larger pieces, I, I would always feel like if I was working on something that gave that message, that it, it didn't really call me. It didn't really work for me as art therapy, which is at the time what I wanted it to do. I yeah. wanted it to be able to take me to a quiet place, uh, mm-hmm. a thoughtful place. 
and I, I, I wanted it to be about love and community, not um, anger and separation. Or politics, or who knows what. Right, I know, yeah. yeah. That makes me think about a few things. Uh, one thing you said in your latest newsletter that I encourage people to sign up for at oh, your website. Thank you, thank you. You were saying about, you are talking about artwork as a journal to explore the world inside and out. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. Now, tell me more about that. I'm always looking. Yeah. It, it's, I can it, when that. I'm in Laguna Beach, um, the first thing I do in the morning is I go for like an hour and a half walk. And mm. usually it's just me on the beach. Every day there's something different to see. There's a different bird. There's, you know, the rocks, the kelp, the shells. Yeah, the, the ocean. Is the the ocean, the ocean is always different. <laughs> the mystery. The sky is yeah. always different. And there's just the scale of it. I think it's just, you know, you feel that you're part of something really huge and mm. wonderful. And so I would just start, you know, pulling ideas and sometimes it's just water patterns other times it's those rock formations along the water the leaves you know the sand yeah it's just unlimited unlimited uh i like looking at details i guess i'm a little bit like mary oliver with the observing and I, i think maybe that's it is that we just sometimes we're so rushed that we don't really have time or we don't make time just to stop and really look at what we're seeing. Yeah. And be grounded, be in the moment. I mean, yeah. that's about being in the moment, really. I had a friend in Laguna that had asked me one time, she, she said, I see you getting up every morning early and going out for these long walks. And I want to be able to do that. I really am too sedentary. And, mm. and can I come with you? And I said, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, and I said this is this is the one time because when I would come back, then you know we were dealing with medical treatment and yeah. you know everything Kristen was going through, and and that that hour in the morning, that mm. hour and a half was my quiet time where I could really think about what happened the day before, what, what could possibly be happening today. I could process, yeah. you know, um, everything. But you can't process if you're chattering away yeah. with someone on a walk. Yeah. You know, you're 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 not even looking at what's yeah. around you. You really have to be alone to take the time to look and see that leaf under your shoe. Mm-hmm. I really respect that because I feel like that to me that speaks of healthy boundaries and just kind of yeah. really knowing what you need and being able to communicate that. I think that I just, I've been personally just trying to like learn more about relationships and how to communicate better and how to relate to people or romantic relationships or otherwise. And it just, you know, I'm sure for that woman, it probably seemed like kind of a rejection, but uh, probably. you know, it is. I mean, and, yeah. and, and I do, I have that, I think because I have such a desire to be close to people and, for intimacy, like, I think I try too hard sometimes. And it's like, if someone has good boundaries, it does feel it's a little it feels a little harsh. Sometimes it's like, whoa, no, I can't go on your walk with you. But I just I really respect the fact that you you knew what you wanted, you knew what you needed. And that was important to you to kind of protect that. And you stuck to that. And I just I, I really respect that. And I feel like you only are able to figure those kinds of things out when you take the time to tune in to what you need. 
You know, I, is that a is that always been a conscious choice or? I, I think I'm a bit of an introvert. Yeah. And um, I don't have a hard time in a social setting talking to people. I mean, you've seen me talk to people at yeah. gallery openings. I don't stand in the corner. Right. But I'm so used to, I mean, when I make art, I'm alone. I'm alone all day. Yeah. And and it's just me and my music. and um, As most artists are. It's like a very right. solitary so endeavor. It is a solitary endeavor. And uh, all of a sudden, that's you know why they would always say that when I had my first solo show... Wally had said, you know, one of our artists one time said that it's like being naked in a room full of people with clothes on. Wow. And, (laughs) I mean, you're exposed because here's all of your artwork on all the walls. And that's everyone's only focus is you and your art and what you've done. And maybe some people don't relate to it. Some do. You're doing your best and the gallery's doing their best to find the audience for you. Yeah. But it it is a little bit anxiety producing. <laughs> yeah, but do you, you know, f- do you feel like you need validation from other people about your work, or do you um, feel like? Yeah, I I do actually. Um, I, I wish I could say honestly that I don't. That I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Yeah. But for someone to to write something on Instagram to me that oh thank you for this it really resonated with me and it reminded me of this or that and this was really important to me a comment like that can keep me going for all week so which is one of the things I appreciate about Instagram in particular it's uh my advertising side really considers it an online focus group hmm you know, you get a lot of feedback on, you can look at all of your images you post and see which ones people responded to more than others, yeah. what colors people responded to more than others. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it sounds like a little bit of a sellout because I, I'm not the kind of artist that isn't listening to that because I'm trying to make a full-time living mm-hmm. selling my work. Yeah, what that makes me think of, and it's something I would encourage anyone that's listening to this and it's something that I want to do. I've been wanting to do more consistently. It's like just once a day, just send anyone that you know or appreciate a note and just tell them something nice. <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, I, I mean, just what you're saying, it's, it makes a huge difference for you to hear that kind it, of feedback. Yeah. And we don't, I don't feel like I give enough feedback to people when I like something. I mean, it's easy to just tap a photo and like it. Uh-huh. But I think if you just spend an extra five seconds actually writing something and tell the person what it means to you, I mean, I think that can make a huge difference for someone. Yeah, and and I think also if you're an artist, you have to make sure it doesn't become so time-consuming. I, I really try to just look at my post once a day hmm. between no, certain good. hours because otherwise I think it'd be real easy to be always checking and that's, yeah, too, that. that's too much time <laughs> yeah. for me um, I really need to be you know focused on making the art not yeah. just seeing who likes my work yeah there is some discipline there's a lot of discipline involved in being an artist working in a studio on your own but my schedule is pretty much like when I was in advertising I get up early I exercise, eat breakfast, paint until six. Not the last few years because of being in Laguna Beach. Yeah. But I really have a schedule. 
And and now that I have more freedom to travel and see my friends who are really important for me, you know, everyone has said, oh, you can paint here, it's so beautiful. And unfortunately, mm. that's not the kind of painter I'm. I, I don't really like painting in front of people. I'd never be uh, like yeah. Laurel, Laurel Daniels, who's so comfortable painting plein air. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And having comments while she works. I, I, I would probably need Xanax to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I admire that. I wish I could, because I think my painting opportunities would be a lot broader than going, no, I need to be alone and <laughs> yeah. with my music and no people around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when I teach, I, I do paint in front of students. Ah. Yeah, it's a little nerve-wracking at times. It's like, please, don't mess this up. Oh, my goodness. I'm sure everyone's <laughs> just in awe anyway. Um, maybe we could touch on something else that you mentioned, too, is the aspect of art being art therapy. Mm-hmm. And I really I want to appreciate you for connecting me with Elizabeth Henley, who's an art therapist at Dell Children's Medical Center, who I interviewed um, early on in the podcast. And that's like one of my most downloaded episodes. Like, oh, I she is a it. saint. And I think that she that episode just resonates with people. It's very powerful, the power of art therapy. And I just, yeah. and obviously, you're a living example of that, too, how you use that for yourself. Yeah, Kristen actually introduced me to the Art of Giving yeah. event at Dell Children's Medical Center because one of her friends was on the the board and they were getting ready to produce it. I forget the actual year. I should have noted that in my notes. Yeah, you I have didn't. four pages of notes here. You're like the most prepared <laughs> person I've ever interviewed. I'm sorry. Where, where, <laughs> no. where, where is that date? <laughs> no apologies. I think it's awesome. But um, the first event I was involved in, I think it was actually like 2013. And uh, Kristen said, I think I think that you would really enjoy this. And this seemed like something I would like to do. So I approached them and discovered that Elizabeth was basically coordinating the whole event. Um, I believe Sue Ellen Cash was working with her at that time, or maybe a little bit later. She's awesome, too. And uh, Elizabeth would set up like 10 stations of all this, these different art mm-hmm. projects, different media that the children could work on. And there were the patient children, and then there were the donors' children. Yeah. But the patients was a separate session in the morning, and then the donor children were invited to come. So the first time I was involved, I did watercolor, which uh, I discovered was a little bit of a challenge with 50 children. And and, uh, I told Elizabeth after the event, I said, this is an amazing event, and I I know I have a whole bunch of artist friends that would love to be a part of it. And I said, next year, let me reach out to them and uh, let's get some professional artists in here. And so the next year, we had 10 artists. So we had 10 different stations yeah. with their particular art form being done. Um, the The money raised almost doubled that year. And then the next year, we gained some more artists most of the artists who have been involved since that first year have come back every year. And so it's become a really tight-knit, supportive group. Jet Baker has been there since the mm-hmm. beginning. His organization 
you know, supply so many of the materials for the event. And I love the event. I haven't participated in the last two years because I wasn't here. Yeah. But they have included me in all the communication. Right. And this year they had a giver's gallery. At the end of um, following the event, they take all of the children's art and the artist puts their touch on it. It's professionally framed. Uh, Russell Fine Art does yeah. a gallery night. It's like big time presentation. Yeah. I was actually in Austin at that time, but it was shortly after Kristen had passed. Yeah. And I called Elizabeth and she said, are you going to be able to come? Because originally I'd said I, I could. And I said, I don't I don't think I can do it, Elizabeth, because it's always an emotional night because there's children there, yeah. patients. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's not an easy night. Yeah. And it's very rewarding. And I told her that, I said, Kevin Ivester, my gallery director at Davis, is going to come in my place because Elizabeth said, we have something special to give you. Oh, wow. And I'll show it to you after okay. we're done talking. So Kevin went, and of course I was... And she said, and you're really going to like it. And uh, I went to the gallery the next day, and Kevin gave me this beautiful, beautiful hand-bound book by Wendy Davis. Mm. She bound the book. About 15 artists all had uh, 9 by 12 original pieces of artwork. And on the back, they had all written me notes, mm. thanking me for inviting them, yeah. <laughs> inviting yeah. them to get involved. It's a gorgeous book. It's really a keepsake. Yeah, I can't wait to see And I was it. glad I wasn't there when they presented it to me because that would have been um, a basket case. Right, right. <laughs> but Elizabeth and I are good friends and uh, and we always say that we'll probably be thanking each other for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Wow. So, what a beautiful it's relationship. It's very special, very special group to me. Yeah. What could you say generally about art therapy? How you've seen it in action in the hospital um, or just personally? I think that You know, art can be a tool that you don't have to be an artist to do. You can still enjoy, like my two-year-old granddaughter does, putting water on paint and dropping color into it and moving it around. It's joyful. Mm -hmm. And I think that for a lot of people, especially adults, they haven't made art since they were children in school. And if you give them good supplies, it's like it takes it to a whole new level. Mm. And it's and it's very relaxing. It's very therapeutic. And, and also, there's just the pride in producing something that you didn't think you were capable of doing. And for me, a lot of it was making repetitive marks. It's very calming. It's, you know, listening, yeah. like listening to music. And sometimes if I was um, at a place where I need, knew I needed to just breathe a little bit deeper, um, mm. to sit there and sketch or draw, could take me to that place. Yeah. So I believe in it. I, I could see myself teaching art therapy, but of course that mean I'd have to go back to school. I don't know if I have time to do that. Yeah. But I can support Elizabeth. And she's she's one of a few full-time art therapists right. in the United States. And from what I understand, and I don't know all of the specifics, but I know that Kendra Scott has become involved also with the art of giving. And, and right now it's her mission to help support bringing more full-time art therapists to hospitals all over the United States. Mm. That's pretty awesome. Well, yeah, one actually 
Related to that, one thing I learned, Vice President Pence's wife, that's one of her initiatives too, is oh. art therapy. Oh, that's and right. And she actually went she w- to visit the hospital at, yeah. and met Elizabeth. Yeah, she was part of that. I had forgotten about that. So that's so, good. Yeah, some so I think it's very... Energy and spotlight yeah, on Yeah, you know, I could start teaching classes at spas all over the world, right? You could just teach your own classes. You don't need to <laughs> have a, any a degree or certification <laughs> or anything. Um, I don't know. Well, speaking of teaching, like... You know, tell tell me a little bit more about teaching, teaching what that means to you. Um, I started teaching at Laguna Gloria Art Museum, which is now the contemporary Austin. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful campus. And originally, um, I approached the director saying that I was interested in teaching a course there. It was during my after Sakola Martin days. And I was asked if I had taught before. And I said, no. <laughs> And uh, I said, I do have qualifications, though. I have two daughters, and I feel like I've been doing art and teaching them all of their lives. So that's got to be worth something. I'd say. And so they graciously allowed me to teach a course. They're a watercolor course. And it was really fun for me. It was really rewarding. Uh, Everyone that I have ever taught at that school is so appreciative To the extent that the next time I taught, three-quarters of the class I knew already, they had been in the previous class. So it kept that kept building, and I'd be teaching two workshops, weekend workshops, um, a semester. And there was one point where I had 32 people on a waiting list to take mm. my class, and I only had spots for 10. So Wow, popular. <laughs> so it was good for me because it was like, well, whatever I'm doing, I, I think people are enjoying this and getting a lot out of it. It probably didn't hurt that I served the mimosas when they came in. <laughs> Uh, yeah, maybe not. Well, you know, sometimes you're not really 100% sure, so... you got to loosen you know, up yeah, things a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you have to make sure you cover all your bases. Yeah. yeah. Chocolate chip cookies work, too. Oh, wow. You know, it was like I really enjoyed doing that, and then I've actually made some really good longtime friends from students that took the course mm. with me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still in touch with a lot of them, and then from there, I... Two years ago, I taught at Anderson Ranch Mm. Art Center in Snowmass, Colorado, which is really a world-class art school. And I taught a five-day workshop there. And I'm actually, I haven't taught in two years now. And I'm actually signed up to teach in August 2020. Yeah. And this morning, I also made a commitment to teach um, in October 2020 at the Peninsula School of Arts in Wisconsin. Oh, cool. So that's my little soft segue back into the teaching world. After having the experience that you've gained from teaching so far, like what, what thoughts do you have about just like teaching art or... Like, what do you think really impacts people, or how do you? I mean, how do you teach art? How do you? How do you do that? I think you share with them as much as you can. I always tell them I'm very transparent because I have had artist friends that had advised me not to teach because they said, mm. you know, this is these are these techniques that you've developed and experimented with. You don't really need to share that with people because you know they may want to replicate, try to replicate mm. what you're doing. And I thought that. I dismissed that advice immediately because I felt what a sad world this would be if people felt that they shouldn't teach 
the next generation or even their generation what they do. That's what makes the world go round. <laughs> or somehow imagine you can protect yeah. what you're doing and keep it all to but, yourself. You know, and I always will say that I could go in and I could show them 20 different techniques that I use when I'm painting and do it in front of them and give them the opportunity to do the same. And every single one of them will interpret it right. differently. Uh, they'll do it differently. We all see things differently. Yeah. And to me, that's really the rewarding part about teaching is that you're sharing information. And it's one thing I'm always, everyone thanks me for. It's like, mm. you know, this is a lot more information than, you know, I'm used to getting, you know, surprised that you would do this. But, you know, it, it's not smoke and mirrors. You know, there is the process, the techniques, the tools, and that's more what I teach. But then you get into the ideas mm-hmm. and, you know, the composition and the material that you're going to use to do it with. And, and that becomes really your own. So why watercolor? What is watercolor? <laughs> I was thinking about that when I was driving over here. Like, what is watercolor? <laughs> it is it is pigment mixed with gum Arabic. Okay. And uh, I started doing watercolor when I was in high school at Cass Technical High School. It was a music and art high school in downtown Detroit. I took the bus down there. You had to show a portfolio to be accepted. Mm-hmm. And uh, we would pack up watercolors and we would go down to the Detroit River and do paintings of the barges out in the river or we'd go to the park and paint the homeless guys hmm. sleeping on the bench or yeah. you know um maybe the paper bag at the foot of the bench that was holding dubious materials yeah. you know <laughs> um yeah you know, we weren't afraid of anything and and if we couldn't find a water source we'd scoop up snow out of the bank and end up painting with the water yeah but watercolor is a very uh unique medium because it can be very portable you don't Mm. need a lot of big stuff and it dries really quickly so it's easy and fast i could go to italy for instance and decide i just wanted to do little sketches and a eight by ten book and take six colors and three brushes and that would be all i need yeah i wouldn't need an easel i wouldn't need to wait for three days for you know yeah. the paint to dry um it's environmentally friendly you know i missed getting into oil painting in college because i was allergic to the turpentine oh so i would paint in acrylic outside the classroom because the turpentine just drove me crazy but i had to take oil mm-hmm. but now i'd like to get back into oil because i think oh. i i believe that the paint has changed the solvents have changed i'm hoping actually when i go see sydney Ager for my studio visit that yeah. she can kind of bring me up to speed because i think her paintings are amazing yeah they are yeah they are yeah, she's she's they up are. on paint i'm sure they are they are um well, you mentioned Mary Oliver earlier, and I, mm-hmm. in your recent, maybe it was, it was in something I was researching and reading, you had, oh, it was on Instagram, you had posted one of her uh, poems, and the last two lines of the poem are, tell me what it is you plan to do with your one wild precious life. Yeah, I love that line. Yeah, and that just makes me yeah. think of, yeah, none of us really know how long we're going to be here, do we? No, and I... I always feel like there's so many things I want to do. Yeah. I mean, and and I think it gets 
down to a point of editing because I've always believed firmly that, you know, you can either focus and, and decide what is you truly love the most and practice, practice, practice. I'm a yeah. big believer in that. I don't think there's any natural born there's no quick. artists other than maybe Da Vinci and Michelangelo. Yeah. Time is the biggest component. All the things that interest me, oh, I could, uh, I would love to do fuse glass like Kathleen Ash. I would love to do Julie Spacco's ceramics. Uh-huh. Um, I would love to do America Martin's sculptures. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's, it's just the list goes on and on. All the things that jewelry, I'd love to do that. I'd like to, um, I'd like to go to, Greystone in California and take a week long chef course. And I'd like to learn how to sing. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you really look at all the opportunities there are, it's just, it's mind boggling. All the things that you can do today and learn online or whatever you want to do. It's just so cool. It is. And it's hard because um, I also know myself that, you know, if I did spread myself out too much i'd probably get anxious about it it would be yeah 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 you know i think maybe one new thing at a time yeah that sounds good but uh yeah it all interests me you know and i do think that you know having a lot of creative friends in my circle in my community is really important too just to see what they're doing and what their process is Mm -hmm. and how it's different than mine because we're all so different you know that's why I think what you're talking about, just sharing your techniques with your students, it's like no one's going to do exactly what you do. No. And then maybe they don't even do it at all, Yeah, very likely. It's They're going to do something else. So it's. I do think I had a unique set of skills going into art as a full-time career because of having been in advertising for yeah. 20 years. I, I, I know that I was organized. I knew about schedules. I knew about branding. I knew mm-hmm. about practice uh i knew about writing and the message and i i think that there are a lot of really amazing artists that unfortunately have not been able to integrate those skills yeah so they have this beautiful work but you know it's it's not moving fast enough for them to make a full-time income from it so i feel very grateful that i always say that Every single job I've ever had, I still use part of it. Yeah. And what I do now. It almost makes me wish you would teach a course on that. Um, <clears throat> how I to d- help artists. I did, <laughs> I did, I did teach a course um, oh, okay. at Laguna Gloria. I taught a lecture. I did it twice, actually, and it was called The Business of Art. Oh. And uh, it was basically about branding. It was about establishing your business. Mm-hmm. legally it was about press releases it was about how to approach a gallery director if mm. that was the route it was about social media at that time even and this and, was just a lecture and it was just me talking which was a little out of the box for me to mm. want to get up and talk to someone for two to three hours about advertising and marketing their art yeah but I, I had like 30 students, but I discovered I didn't, I felt it was appreciated, but I also felt like it wasn't what I loved hmm. to do. Yeah, I'd rather sure. be teaching painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and there was one case in point, it was during the time I was with Wally, where I was teaching it the second time. I said, Wally, I said, I think it'd be really great if you could come and just talk to this 
group for 10, mm. 10 minutes and tell them about what you look for yeah. when an artist walks in the door and wants to have you represent them. And so Wally came, and uh, she actually offered to them, she said, if any of you uh, would like to make an appointment with me for an informational interview, I'd be happy to do that. Hmm. And I think maybe only one, two people took her up on that. Yeah. So that was Scary, a little right? bit of a surprise to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Most people would have been all over that. You know what you're saying? I don't know if you'd be up for this, and I'm just kind of throwing this out there. So do you have this lecture written down somewhere? I mean, I'm just wondering if we could record oh, yeah. that oh, yeah. and put it out as a podcast or something, as a podcast I think it episode. would have to be updated 10 years. Okay, well. <laughs> it could have, be another thing. If you have time to update it, yeah, maybe we, really. could, we could record it, and then we yeah. could, and then it would just be done, and you would never have to do it oh, again. Oh, exactly. And then exactly. everyone would have that information. Yeah, so that's true. We could maybe could release write, that. Or I could write a book. You could write a book. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. We need um, more books. Okay, so let's let's talk about why this exhibition is happening at Davis Gallery. Well, Davis... For anyone that doesn't know. Yeah. So in 2009, my newlywed daughter, she'd been married a year, was diagnosed with stage 4 parotid gland cancer. Mm-hmm. She was 23 weeks pregnant at the time. The The tumor was encapsulating her right major facial nerve. When we finally received the diagnosis, um, they wanted to operate immediately because it was heading toward her brain. But it was two weeks before my other daughter, Allison's wedding in New York. And Kristen said, I'm going to be there to have my see my sister get married. Yeah. So it was a little bit a uh, small family wedding in New York City, a um, little bittersweet as we knew what would be happening after the ceremony. Um, Kristen had the surgery at Cedar sinai was clear. During the surgery, they had to um, sever her major facial nerves. So my beautiful daughter um, had facial paralysis after the surgery. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, after the surgery, she was really, you know, the baby was born, little Heaton was born. Uh, he actually went through 25 radiation treatments before he was born. Wow. And then after he was born, Kristen went through an additional 25 at Hogue Cancer Center in Newport Beach. And from that point, it became her research um, to discover how to reanimate her paralysis. Yeah. And basically was told that uh, she would have to be five years clear of cancer in order for them to do reanimation surgery. She researched all over the world and found a plastic surgeon at Mass General, Dr. Tessa Hadlock, who had performed more of these surgeries than anyone in the world with great success. So when Kristen was five years clear, um, she went through the surgery. It was two parts Mm. over the year. And then immediately after the second surgery, she had a recurrence. And that wiped out everything we had done the year before. So at that point, she had surgery to remove the tumor growth at Mass General in Boston. We lived there for three months on Beacon Hill during the Boston blizzard of 2015, where Mm. 102 inches of snow fell. Wow. And Little Heaton went to preschool there. We had no car. We would walk to Mass Gen 
for her treatments. Um, she had chemo and radiation there. Wyatt and I would walk Keaton to school. She bought us all ice skates. Yeah. So um, mm-hmm. she's a strong-willed yeah. woman. And so we got through that. And then she had a, another recurrence in 2017. And uh, the diagnosis was the conventional treatment was not available and that we would be doing immunotherapy. She researched that again. She and Wyatt interviewed Dana Farber, MD Anderson, Cedar Sinai, Mass Gen, uh, Sloan Kettering, mm-hmm. and decided um, that UCSD San Diego with Ezra Cohen was the best opportunity because Dr. Cohen was working on not only the immunotherapy, but he was working on a personalized cancer vaccine. Yeah. And the vaccine would be unique to your specific cancer. It would be formulated and designed for your DNA. No two people would have the same medication. And the trial, the beginning of the trial was in its infancy. And Kristen and Wyatt decided that we needed to expedite this trial for Kristen. So they founded the Peabody Fund with the hope of raising over a million dollars to fast track the trial. And it happened. Um, In 2017, Davis Gallery funded uh, Mandala's for Kristen event, a fundraiser Mm -hmm. for the Peabody Fund. Initially, I reached out to 25 artist friends, professional artist friends, and asked them to do 10 by 10 Mandala's and that we would be having a silent auction with a minimum bid on all the art. And we ended up having over 75 artists participate in the event. Word spread. Yeah. And it ended up being artists from all over the United States donating art. Mm. We had a minimum bid of $250 on each piece. We sold every piece of art and raised $32,000 in two hours at Davis Gallery. 100% of the proceeds went to the Peabody Fund. Right. Wow. Yeah. Phenomenal. That's some support. So now, um, it's two years later, Kristen passed on February 7th. The the trial, unfortunately, we think was too late for her, for the stage of her cancer. I've been living in Laguna Beach the last two years, helping Kristen Wyatt Heaton, along with a whole slew of our family who have been there with us. We've had a tremendous village helping us helping Kristen through Mm -hmm. all of this. So, uh, come to the future, and uh, I was scheduled to have a solo show at Davis Gallery in September, and about four months ago, I came home, and I decided I have to go talk to Kevin and tell him that I don't have enough work. I don't have enough large work. I have lots of little two-by-fours and four-by-fours, anything that could fit on my desk in Laguna, but I don't have any big pieces and so I walked into the gallery and I said I'm sorry but I said I'm gonna have to postpone my show and uh, he kind of looked at me with no surprise at all and said oh we didn't expect you to have a show but we were waiting for you to tell us that you weren't ready yeah and we have a plan oh and I said great okay and he said well he said like we'd like to invite back all of the mandala artists from two years ago we would like to do a show that celebrates we're we're so in awe of all the community support and love that Kristen received. Yeah. And we'd like to do a show focused on community, 
love, friendship, support. We think the title of the show ought to be The Big Pink Blanket of Love. Yeah. Because whenever Kristen was going into a procedure or surgery or anything, she would send out a notice to her friends and say, okay, pull out that pink blanket of love for me. I need your help. Yeah, yeah. So they sent out a call to the artists. And I think right now we have over 60 artists, and they've all created four-inch by four-inch pink-hued pieces of art on mm-hmm. different in different mediums. They've all been sewn together. There's 154 of them now oh, wow. into a pink blanket of love that's going to be a wall installation. At the exhibit, we are going to donate the wall installation to the Art of Giving event next yeah. year. And uh, there are 20 other artists who have created artwork under this theme that -hmm. will have work in the exhibit. So it's really a group show. I'll probably have, I think, six or seven pieces in the show. Mm -hmm. And 10% of the total proceeds of the exhibit will be donated to the Peabody Fund. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What a great idea. I know. I'm proud of myself that I could say that without getting... Misty. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's pretty overwhelming. I just want to back up a little bit. Where do things stand with the Peabody Fund and the vaccines and the ongoing research? We, we are actually still very strongly supporting the Peabody Fund because we believe that the personalized cancer vaccine is the future mm-hmm. of treatment. Um, I believe that they're coming out with an article in the San Diego Tribune within this month because there has been remission Mm. with some of the patients in the trial. There's 10 patients in the trial now, I believe. And what that fundraising effort did, um, Kristen wanted the trial not to be just her. She wanted there to be more people for the trial. So each person caused X amount, and that was where the million-dollar amount came from, getting at least 10 people in the trial. Mm. So so we feel like we're... Yeah. She told me once, um, it was a few years ago, and I had just finished a, a really nice book, and... I said, I said, I think you'd enjoy this because she loves to read. And she said, Mom, she said, I'm just not reading fiction anymore. I'm only reading medicine. Wow. So laser focus. So she she was very very focused. Her doctor called her tenacious. Yeah. Which I think is a really good descriptor of Kristen. And she wanted to help others. She really wanted to leave something. A legacy. Yes, and she did. So I'm not sure how the Peabody Fund will evolve and develop. We're still just at six months mm-hmm. and still, you know, some days we have days where we feel like we can do everything and other days we feel like we have no energy to do anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I saw you at Davis Gallery during their last opening, and I asked you about doing an interview, and you said no. you didn't think you could handle it. And then I got an email I know. a few weeks ago, and you're I like, know. let's do it. Like, what well, what changed? Uh, pretty much, Kristen, I thought, this is really important, would be something really important to her. Yeah. And I felt that people needed to know more about it. Yeah. So, and I just crossed my fingers that I'd be able to get through it. Yeah. Well, and here I, we are. And I, and I've, I've done it. <laughs> so, phew. 
yeah. Well, we're not quite over. I mean, we're okay. pretty pretty much uh, at the end here. But um, yeah, so it, obviously we'll both be sharing about the show. I'll be sharing about it. The opening is on September 14th from 7 to 9 at Davis Gallery, and it closes on October 12th. Right. Um, it's going to be a great show. Yeah. And I think there'll be a few surprises. Crossing oh. my fingers, I can't really reveal yet. Okay. Because oh. they're some artist friends that are kind of going beyond their personal boundaries to oh, create wow. something. So, yeah, it's that's a little really, bit of a teaser. That's really that, exciting. You know, um, I know one thing I had written as a note was that, um, you know, one thing I've learned from Kristen is that I've really learned, and I and I guess I, I wanted to share this just because everyone goes through medical care and diagnoses that are a surprise. That, yeah. Uh, and some people never go when something's wrong because they are afraid to hear what yeah, is wrong. You don't want to know. Yeah. And Kristen really firmly believed in getting second opinions. Mm. She was misdiagnosed twice before her actual oh, wow. diagnosis. And by her being so tenacious about getting those second opinions, both her and Wyatt, her amazing husband, she really gave us 10 more years with her. Yeah. And she gave us a beautiful son. He is going to be 10. You know, I don't think that always happens. I I see too many people that don't get their regular checkups or something's wrong and they just choose to ignore it. Yeah. And it's just always so much better to get it earlier rather than too late. But she researched. She was a voracious reader. Um, She wrote a blog sticking around for a while, which captured her humor and her Mm -hmm. focus. And she would always have a list. When we would go into a medical doctor's appointment, she always had a list of questions. She always asked, can I record this meeting? Which I highly recommend Mm. because... You're in a kind of a, a different atmosphere, and you hear a lot of technical terms that aren't part of your vocabulary. And you're and emotional, it, maybe. And, and you're and emotional, and it's very fast. And mm-hmm. to be able to play something back and and then yeah. form your next questions is really invaluable. And there should be no reason that um, any physician should deny that to you. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's I can relate that just to my own experience yeah. with my dad. It's like, or even just any time I've had any kind of medical issues, it's like you have to be. If you're in the hospital and or you're with someone in the hospital, someone has to advocate for you yeah. at every moment. They have totally. to be aware of everything that's going on for you. And I feel like, yeah, you do have to push through because no one's going to really ever care about you or what's going on with you or your family member more than you will. And I really feel like you have to have also that laser focus on, on making sure that they're getting the best care they have, they can get, and that you're not just blindly taking for granted, whatever the medical professionals are saying. There were, there were numerous times I would hear Kristen asking someone to please go wash their hands. Ah, yeah. (laughs) They get really busy. But, you know, you have to trust your instincts and um, not be intimidated. It's hard not to be intimidated by the environment because it's not where we live and it's not where we work. But, um, you know, one other thing that I discovered through, through this crisis really is that 
you don't really know who's out there for you hmm. until something traumatic happens. Yeah. You don't know all of the friends and family that are going to rally for you and support you because they're there. I, I really believe they're there, but they're waiting. You know, hmm. they may not be there when everything's good with you, but but when you need them, they can be there right away. Yeah. And it's it's pretty awe-inspiring just to see all that love. So I, I feel like we have this tremendous community. I've met so many amazing artists hmm. just because of Kristen. Yeah. People I never would have met through the Mandala event, you know, through this event. Mm-hmm. And it's like right now we have this really special connection mm-hmm. that I appreciate. So, a gift. Yeah, gifts that came mm-hmm. out of this. Yeah. 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 How do you... One last question. Mm-hmm. Um, what's different now about how you live the rest of your life? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I don't feel... Like I'm the same person I was 10 years ago. I know I've changed. Mm -hmm. I know that there are things that I need to change about my life and and how I handle things. Um, You know, I I do think it's always good to have a good therapist. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) And I appreciate that. So we have one in Laguna and one here. It's like, okay, I'm covered. Yes. Both places. But... Um, I also know that right now I, I have to go slowly because I'm not as good as I think I can get. But it's it's just developing uh, a new life and, and a new way of handling things. And, you know, fortunately, I, my daughter's here, Allison and Austin, her husband, Josh, and little grandchildren. That, mm-hmm. um, that helps a lot. For yeah. me and good friends that have been very supportive and doing a lot to help me. But I think I just have to be cautious and hmm. a little bit snail-like and yeah. make, making big changes to my life. Yeah. So you won't see me at Zach Scott doing a Broadway musical <laughs> anytime soon. I'm going to have to work on that for okay. a while. Yeah, that makes me think of yeah a line that you had in your last newsletter. You said, time does not heal, I think. It just unravels a new path. So you're on yeah. a new path. Yeah. And it's unraveling yeah. slowly. I know. Yeah, people's intentions are always, always good. But sometimes, you know, I'll read. And I meditate and, you know, do a lot of reading also on things that I think can help me through mm-hmm. this. You know, each day is different, and there's good days, there's bad days. And, you know, you just have to remember to be grateful for the good things you have. Yeah. So. Yeah, gratitude is so important. Gratitude is right. So write more thank you notes. Yes. Come right back to that. (laughs) Yes. Please write people thank you notes or send them something. Something, just anything. To show them how much you appreciate them. Thank you. All right, well... I think that's it. Is there anything else you need to say or want to say? No. I'm I'm honored to be sharing my story with you. Yeah. Thank you. No, I'm honored to be here to hear it. I am. Sorry I don't have any soup to serve you. Yeah, no, where's the minestrone soup? <laughs> <laughs> Too hot. No, you said Too you had hot. carrots and hummus and Too you got hot. hibiscus tea, so uh, I'm good. Okay, well, thanks, Jan. Okay, thank you, Scott. Thanks for listening. 
One more thing before you go. If this episode or any other I've produced have helped you or added value to your life, please support the podcast so it can continue and grow. Just go to austinarttalk.com forward slash support. There you can find a link to my Patreon page, and there is also a PayPal option and an Amazon affiliate link. I couldn't keep doing this without your help. All the best to you and take care. Take care.